0: This bullshit about the East Coast and the West Coast started when we went out to New York to do the Source Awards. And Mr. Knight uh, went on stage and he's in New York City and we all know puppies from New York City.
1: Any artists out there wanna be an artist and wanna stay a star, and don't wanna want, to, don't want to, have to worry about the executive producer trying to be all in the videos, all on the record, dancing, Woo! come to death Row.
0: The whole crowd started booing, and then I thought to myself, like, why would you do that? The East Coast don't love Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. The East Coast ain't got no love for Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and Death Row. Y'all don't love us. Y'all don't love us.
1: Well, let it be known then. We, we know y'all East Coast. We know where we at.
0: East Coast and- I'm the executive producer that our comment was made about a little bit earlier,
1: but con- check this out. Contrary to what other people may feel, I would like to say that I'm very proud of Dr. Dre, of Death Row, and Shook Knight for their accomplishments, and all this East and West that needs to stop. <laughs> Take up to America is presented by the good people at the Bodbelly Network. My fellow Americans,
0: we are fortunate to be alive. Killer. They need them to protect us from the number one killer in history, protect the us from the Central university. university. A study on the y university. University. A study on Hawaii is called Rimbocide. 20, but he wanted to, 20, everybody, all the details bloody, the buff, that we had in our possession. There's, in no. there's an old saying in Tennessee, I know it's a Tennessee, Tennessee, says, Tennessee, no shame, 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 shame on you. Shame on you. Shame on you. Shame on you. you me, we can't get fooled. Fool. Fool. fool me, we can't get fooled again. Like we always do about this time. Boom! All right, everybody, welcome to episode 322 of the R and Jacob Do America podcast. I am your host in the place to be, Mister Jacob P. And sitting right across from me in a lovely Mexico jersey is the Brown (laughs) recluse. My Hawaiian Mexico jersey, (laughs) your tiki Mexico jersey, is the Brown recluse, Mister Art Trail. Art, say hello to the millions.
1: The millions. What the fuck is going on, guys? Hope you're doing well uh guys go to kmancoffee.com check out their entire inventory they got the coffee beans they got the tea. they got the cacao butter they got the nitro cold brews they got everything your heart desires You can use promo code America. Jacob's drinking liquid death. He's not drinking caveman coffee right now. But still, dude, it's hot outside. sure is. You know what? It's hot outside. Drink some of that uh, hibiscus tea. The hibiscus tea, ice cold, to me, it's fucking delicious. Uh, Use promo code America at checkout to receive 15% off. um, That's 15% off your total purchase price. So so the more you buy, the more you save. and uh, take a picture of yourself drinking that hibiscus tea in the hot one hundred and fifteen degree California weather. <laughs> I, if you know, I assume like um like Nicole Smith Boshi's in South Africa, so it's like winter there right now. you' yeah. celebrating like
0: Christmas or do they Christmas ce- in July? Do
1: they celebrate holidays there?
0: Yeah, I don't think they're Jehovah Witnesses.
1: Oh <laughs> I, I I, Like whatever the South African Independence Day Whatever mm-hmm. Like When's that? September 11th Like it's just They have like random ass holidays Like <laughs> Crab day or something Like I imagine other countries Have like lame holidays We America Hey If you're This is Art and Jacob do America So we're very pro America America Best holidays You know like mm-hmm. We do Halloween better That's Than right. anybody else We do Christmas better Than anybody mm-hmm. else We do fucking Cinco de Mayo better than Mexico to Cinco de Mayo, dude. Like <laughs> we think Cinco de C- Mayo Cinco de is not even a holiday in Mexico. That's, that's how well we do it. Yeah, that's not Mexican Independence. We Day, feed the way, fucking people. hot
0: Cheetos to giraffes <laughs> at Disneyland. We that's,
1: go yeah, we go fucking bananas on 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 Cinco de Mayo, dude. We do Quatro de mile. May Ooh, the 4th be with you, bro. That's how badass we are, man. <laughs> uh we're we're fucking we're all over the place. We do holidays the right way. So like when I hear like other countries like celebrating Boxing Day, or like you know, lucky lucky frog day or some weird shit like that. Like I don't know, Nicole, please message us. I'm sure you're watching this live. Write it in the comments. What are the weird holidays that you guys celebrate in South Africa? Or even like um, you know, people around the world. Um, Copper Kelly, Copper Kelly, tell us what you know. Like Green Man holiday or whatever you guys have over there. I'm sure th- there's weird things here we have here too. You know, Guy we ha-
0: Fox Day. I think is like a they have written- Guy
1: Fox Day. That's a fictional character
0: from. Isn't that from B from Vendetta? That's a real thing? I think they based that off of the Guy Fox <laughs> legend. So, I mean, go listen to this Sofa King episode. I think they probably. Dear God, I'm stupid, dude. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but well, you're an American <laughs> now. But uh,
1: anyways, guys, uh, use promo code America to c- receive 15% off.
0: <laughs> we say all that to get to the point. Use, 15, use code America for 15% off. <laughs> Guys, speaking of uh, Nicole Smith-Bosch, and speaking <laughs> of sponsors, guys, uh, I need everyone everyone, to head on over to SukerApparel.com, where the great and powerful weird holidays celebrate. Nicole Smith-Bosch has put together an illustrious array of merchandise for your consumption pleasure. So check out the website. Um, put in your cart everything that you want, love, and desire. Uh, but before you hit checkout, guys, I need everyone to enter promo code ART and Jacob, who also do America. Hmm. Um I need you guys to put Art and Jacob as the promo code and she will give you ten percent off your entire purchase. But guys, we're not here to talk about weird holidays and fucking, you know, all of our fans around the world. Uh are who what are we here to talk about today? Guys, we are here to talk
1: about I guess it could be phrased differently. This is I'm gonna phrase it. I'm gonna phrase it as the East Coast, West Coast hip hop beef. Mm. Uh, you know, if you grew up in the nineteen nineties, you know exactly what we're talking about. We grew up in the 1990s. Sure so did. we definitely know what we're talking about. We definitely lived it. We were children of the street <laughs> <laughs> literally. We were uh we, it felt like everybody at this time period was trying to be like the most gangster, the most thug that they can be. Like it was almost like a competition of like how fucking hood you can be like who is the most gangster at this time period at least here where we lived in california hey holmes i got the most ben davis yeah dude like everybody was wearing ben davis everybody was wearing starter jackets like it was fucking, what are those uh, Nike Cortezes Like yep. Nike Cortezes and starter jackets and three flowers. Mm-hmm. Everybody. Those belt buckles were like those the, cholo your, belt buckles. With
0: the, the old English initials on them yeah. and shit. I
1: gotta get one. Bring those back, dude. Like, oh, you know, yeah. I know oh. Jesus keeps trying to bring back Menudo. <laughs> <laughs> like, if it went out of style. But, like, bring back fucking cholo belt buckles. I'm gonna go buy one right after this today. Let's go to Mercado Latino, man. With, with all our Patreon hey, money. Yo, check this out, dude. Shout out to people that have been listening to this podcast long enough to know that at one point we had a, a guy named Eric on this podcast. Shout out to Eric Castillo, our boy Eric Castillo is getting married in a few weeks, like literally about three weeks from now. Yeah, next month, on. Huh? Next month. So not only do I I gotta get gotta get him a fucking housewarming gift or whatever, a fucking you know milkshake maker. Or Here's whatever a
0: toaster be. because you yeah. decided to elope. Yeah. yeah,
1: it's like all right, done. That's going to happen, whatever is on their target's, target wish list, no problem. <laughs> but they are both big wrestling fans. like They're fucking wrestling nerds, mm-hmm. which is adorable. Um, but I really want to go to mercalatino because I want to see if they'll make me a Luchador mask. You have a Luchador mask back there. Yes, sir. A Luchador mask, and I just want to have him write like his and hers like on, <laughs> on, the, on the Luchador mask. And I thought that would be like an adorable Christmas or not Christmas, adorable wedding present. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I gotta, Man, f- really I gotta, good. I gotta find a way to make that happen. And I'm we'll running out of time. <laughs> we can go halves on that, dude. That'd be cool. I, yeah. I, we're running out of time because like the wedding is like less than a month away now, yeah. but it's gotta happen now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I keep telling my girlfriend like, "Wouldn't that be a cool idea?" She's like, "Yeah," but also the wedding is like on the 10th of next month or whatever. Dude, they got
0: that Mexican work ethic. They can do that right in front of you. Oh,
1: yeah, give me 30 minutes. Hold on, hold on. I'm in my lunch. Hold on. They're like eating a fucking sloppy joe and takis. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) hold on, hold on. It's done. It's done. It's done. It's done. Squeeze a lemon on it for (laughs) me real quick. (laughs) Yeah, hold the string. Hold the string. Ah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know, dude. Uh, Yeah, if you've never been to Bakersfield, California, we have a place called the Mercado Latino, Mm -hmm. and it's like, the most legit Static X metal band, famous metal band, played
0: there once. Dude. Sure did, yeah, yeah. It's pretty legit. It is like the greatest swap meet of all time.
1: Also, yeah. they like if you have like thirty dollars, they'll tint all your windows for you, dude. Oh, for real? I need yeah. to get my car tinted, like dude. Get your car tinted. Yesterday. I need to get my I need to get my front windows tinted, and I'm not even joking. I got like my my Mazda. I got everything tinted for like a hundred and thirty dollars. Oh, okay. So not thirty dollars. I was mean. It was exaggerated, but that's was, still really cheap. One hundred thirty dollars, dude, and they're fucking warranty it for life. Yeah, they said when my die, when I die, my grandkids warranty it. They're <laughs> done. They don't have a choice. They'll take care of you. <laughs> <laughs> They'll fucking take care of you. They you just born, walk down to the notary that's li- conveniently located, like two like aisles down. They're, they're in servitude to you now. Like, <laughs> they are your slaves now. If your window goes bad, Mija. Take care, Mister Mister Dixon here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's how business is done at the Mercado Latino. But we're not here to talk about the Mercado (laughs) Latino guys, East Coast West Coast beef. You said it beautifully. We lived this war, like we watched this unfold in front of our eyes. You know the beginnings, middles, and end of it all. Um, I'm a a year older than you, so I think I was a little bit more invested in this. And to be honest with you, like (laughs) when I got into like hip hop it was because of, like, artists like Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, and Tupac. Yeah. And, like, they they literally took me from, like, you know, collecting Ninja Turtles and Power Rangers and shit to being like, oh, dude, like, I'm all about the streets, homes, and, like, where, getting all, like you said, getting all gangster with it. There's literally, like, pictures of me. Like, I go from, like, a, like, a nice little like Armenian possibly Armenian little boy <laughs> with like the haircut like yeah, that goes yeah. to the side or whatever to being like, oh wow, you are a really light skinned Joel <laughs> and shit. <laughs> so but I was obsessed with like all things like West Coast related. And like for me, like East Coast music just seemed like like that was like the old school. Like that's that's what old people listen to, right? Yeah. Like the East Coast just didn't even exist anymore. And I think that's, like, when we talk about the East Coast-West Coast war, that sentiment was, like, all over the country. And, like, the East Coast really felt that. You know, to me,
1: this, like, I I kind of joked a, re- a little bit when I said, like, everybody was trying to out-gangster themselves, in California at least. we, um, At least I felt like when I listened to, like, Dr. Dre's The Chronic or something, like, to me it felt like something worth, like, fighting for, something worth dying for. Like, it was, like, literally that intense. Like, I would listen to it and be like, you know, a fucking seven-year-old kid, like, out there pretending that I'm, like, killing people and shit. Because, <laughs> like, it felt that raw. It felt like, you know, West Coast, like, you know, whatever Tupac and Dr. Dre say, like,
0: like, it felt really, really real to me. But they, w- it wasn't just, like, violence for violence' sake or whatever, right? Like, it was violence against, you know, police brutality, You been, you know, against you know injustices and you know we were coming out of like reaganomics sure
1: yeah yeah sure i didn't really understand that element of it but like i understood like fuck the police and it was like i didn't really understand the ins and outs of like of you know why fuck the police i just knew like you didn't like the police you didn't the police were the authority figure they were always trying to like hold people down like they they weren't there they were just out there trying to like find a way to screw you over and that's the way it felt like to me like growing up mm-hmm. and you know whatever you know political thing we've covered that on the dr dre like chronic album whatever but like um when we did go check out that out go check out that podcast episode but episode as, as, as far as you know what east coast west coast felt like to me to me West coast felt really California felt really fucking gangster. Like it felt like this is what it is. Like this is like fucking like flannels were really popular at that time here in California. Like every gangster had like a flannel on and like lokes and like, it was really fucking real to me. Like it,
0: that's what it was. What I was surrounded by. It literally felt like you walked out your front door and like the people that you saw like on MTV, like you know Dre's and you know later on like Mac Ten and all that shit. Like it felt like you were just walking outside and like looking at your next door neighbor kind of thing. Whereas like East Coast, like with like the Run DMCs, like it felt like a Halloween costume, like you yeah. know with the big dookie chains and you know the Kangol hats and stuff. Like it's just like I can't relate to that because that yeah. just seems like some Halloween shit. To me, you know, despite, like,
1: liking a lot of the East Coast stuff, like, I'm a huge Nas fan. Like, I love Nas. Uh, But I, what's, you know, right away you see, like, I hate to say, like, the fashion really mattered. But, like, you saw the way, like, like, Nas dressed. Like, Nas was wearing, like, a giant parka jacket and Timberlands and, like, it's like that's not how people in California dress. Like what's no, what's, a, what's yeah. up with that? Like yeah. why are you wearing a jacket? It's fucking it's hot as hell, dude. Like we're <laughs> it's a heat wave. <laughs> like like nobody dresses like that. That's not how gangsters here dress. That's not how like and and really like East Coast was really not trying to like like be gangster. Like they were coming from like you know, let me give the East coast props before I'm sure it's going to be a lot of tearing down of the East coast. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make this like uh, people from New York listening to this and then being like, fuck these guys. Cause a lot of like where hip hop is born, where hip hop like is really crafted and borderline perfected is the East coast. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. is like the fucking boogie down Bronx and all those places, Brooklyn, New York. Like that is really where it's like, where it's, it's, Crafted in those basements with like DJs putting together like music to like have b boys dance to it and that sort of thing,
0: the elements of hip hop kind of thing, absolutely, you
1: you know, uh, break dancing things that are still pretty relevant in hip hop today to this day, right now. Um, and I could see how you know people take issue with it when it's like, all right, well, we've crafted this, like, it's our thing. And all of a sudden, people on a completely other side of the
0: country do their version of that thing, and it's different. And it cuts the, out a lot of the elements, yeah. or whatever, right? And like one uh, video I was watching, it was an interview with Lord Finesse, who's an East Coast rapper. <clears throat> he he said something, and it like stuck with me. He said, "He goes, I thought you know, hip hop was going to be our export to the world. You know, it was new, a New York thing. It was always going to be a New York thing." And we were going to export our culture to the rest of the world. So when we saw a bunch of cats like in the West Coast with like jerry curls and raider jackets and shit coming out, like it was offensive to us. Like it was bastardizing our, you know, our culture basically and whatnot. And it's important to note, like there was West Coast artists. There was, you know, Southern artists who were doing hip hop concurrently when, you know, the New York guys were doing it and whatnot. Like when Slick Rick, you know, was popular, you know, shit. But they were doing it almost like in a copycat way of what was going on in New York. Yeah. So like Ice T, for example. If he never said that he was from L.A., if he said he was from Brooklyn, you would have know the difference. It wasn't until N.W.A. came out where it's just like, oh no, we are, are authentically California. We are authentically West Coast, as well as Too Short. I think, I mean, I love Dr. Dre. Like that's my one of my number one artists of all time. But, like, Too Short doesn't get enough love as well, whereas, like, he was going platinum while KRS-One was going gold, you know, independently out in Oakland. And as well, he was authentically Oakland at that time. He wasn't trying to be, like, a New York cat as well. But, like, a lot of cats, when they were starting to see that, where it's just like, oh, you're not paying tribute to what we created. You're over here, quote, unquote, bastardizing our culture. Mm-hmm. And that was the sentiment that percolated at the beginning of this.
1: And I could totally see what, like, the new, the the old is always going to hate the new. Like, mm-hmm. regardless, however you want to feel. Like, you know, a couple of years ago, people were like, oh, mumble rappers are, like, killing hip-hop. like, And, like, you know, now that mumble rap is, like, kind of, like, fading away. And then you have, like, this more, like, I don't know what. <laughs> to call what's going on right now in hip-hop, I would, like, Gucci rapping. I have no idea what it is, like, flashy rapping. But, like, you know, the, you know everything is, like, everything is constantly evolving in hip-hop. Mm-hmm. It's one of the more beautiful things about hip-hop that it evolves very quickly. So you either with it or you're not with it. And, you know, like, if you're one or two years between albums, like, that shit moves pretty quick. So right. yeah. you have to stay stay fresh and relevant. Um, and this was probably the biggest thing, like, biggest thing that had happened because New York had been reigning King Supreme for so long, you know, mm-hmm. from, like, the Rum DMC days with, like, the no shoelace type of thing to, like, uh, I, even before that, like, like Sugar, Sugar Hill. Hill Gang and that sort of thing. Like, that before that, like, the rapping, the flows are pretty similar to, you know, it stayed pretty consistent for almost, like, 12, 15 years, like, the New York style of, of rapping. Where it was, I don't want to say it was more percussive rapping, but it was like the flows were not that creative.
0: Like they were creative, but they were not like, and I and I do think like it, it was evolving and it was evolving in a New York way kind of thing where like eventually, yeah, like the flows would change with like Slick Rick and then later on Eric B and Rakim where like it got yeah. more complex and then it started moving into like, you know, more KRS-One, like where it started to get more intelligent. Like they call him the teacher for a fucking reason or whatever, right? And then it got super like Afrocentric and whatnot where it was l- turning in from like this like party music to where it was like becoming almost like jazz, like where it was the music for intellectuals. Yeah. And like to give the East Coast their due, like that very much was happening. And then all of a sudden, you know, too, it starts to get really political with like public enemy and stuff. So it went from being like this passe fad to like this really important cultural movement. Yeah. No,
1: I 100% agree with that. A couple of things that like when you listen to that, that style of hip hop during that time period, like, there were a lot of, like, piano samples and that sort of thing. Like, jazzy style. Like, jazz hip-hop was mm-hmm. kind of being born in that era. And I could see how, like, you know, the evolution was this is going to be more like um, like some of the deepest, most poetic shit was about to happen. And to hear something almost the complete opposite happening in California where it's like, no, this is the grimiest fucking, like, most violent shit. And it, it was just polar opposites again like it, it, it was something was somebody was gonna at some point get their feelings hurt yeah <laughs> and to me and then really like the the thing that the the fucking match that sets the the, the blaze of fire and i didn't really know this this element of this the story up until like doing research for this podcast but um the Tim Dog song, Tim Dog, which yeah. is the worst rapper name by the way. It's like <laughs> literally just add a dog to your first name.
0: But he does Shout out to Snoop Dog. <laughs> well D-O- Snoop,
1: well Snoop is not his first name. Like Snoop if I met a guy named Snoop, like in real life, I'd be like, "Hey, that's fucking that you should just add dog <laughs> to the end of that name." Like but, it makes more sense. Yeah. But like if you just met a guy named Tim, you like you're just copying his math homework. Yeah. Like it's nothing nothing special going on there. But like um yeah, he does that song, Fuck Compton. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, like, I had never heard of that song before I started watching all these YouTube videos and all this stuff, and I actually decided to listen to it on Apple Music. When you look up Tim Dogg, like, that's the first song and only song that pops up as, like, his, like, hey, check out Tim Dogg. Yeah. It is a pretty fucking terrible song. It is percussive rapping to the, like, one, two, r- rhyme stream style of, like, <laughs> rapping where it's, like, nothing special. He's basically, like, complaining about, like, Compton rappers, Easy e Dr. Dre, and he makes like a list of rappers he's not cool with, and he goes, <laughs> and Ice Cube's okay, and it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, they're homie? <laughs> yeah, just like, oh, uh, all right, dude, it's it's a pretty terrible song, but it, I could see like right away, like, but I could see how people would be like, oh, there is like a fuck what's going on in the West
0: Coast. That- and that was like a very hard sentiment that had been percolating, because I believe that fuck Compton song comes out in 1991, um on an album penicillin on or penicillin on wax is that the ep that tim dog has and he was basically saying what a lot of new york not just artists but fans were already feeling to begin with that like in 1988 when nwa blows up when ice cube blows up when too short blows up or whatever right and you got this totally different sound that's coming out that they can identify with Yeah, it's it's still hip-hop but it doesn't sound anything like they've ever heard. And instead of like embracing it, like, it's like, Oh, this is another evolution or another style of it. It's automatic. Like hate, 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 but they weren't explicitly saying it, you know? And this was like the first time this was actually, you know, put out there. Ice cube even even says like the first NWA tour, when they get out to New York, they were actually booed off stage. I mean, they're playing literally like the first NWA album, you know, I mean, technically second straight out of compton which is considerably you know very like production wise very east coast sounding yeah but it has you know a little bit more you know west coast flavor on it but they get straight booed off stage and this is like a classic album this ain't no fucking you know like yeah i gave props to too short but like he has like one or two good songs on his cd and then the rest is kind of like I fuck bitches, they swallow <laughs> cum. you know, it's just like whatever kind of thing <laughs> <laughs> but like th- this is like excellent rap, you have three excellent rappers like in that group as well as like two DJ slash producers in that uh-huh. fucking group but they're getting booed off stage because it's not Eric B and Rakim, it's not fucking KRS-One, so they get booed off stage so that sentiment had been percolating on the east coast for quite some time until 91 when fucking Tim Dog just straight up just says, hey yo, fuck Compton yeah, yeah. and one of the things I was watching this, I think it was on
1: Joe Rogan when Ice Cube was on the Joe Rogan podcast. Ice Cube talks about how like that song comes out and like nobody on the west, everybody on the west coast is kind of puzzled by it. They're like, mm. "What the fuck?" Like, yeah, we looked is he, up to you guys. Yeah, why is he saying this? Like, that doesn't make any sense. There was no beef. It kind of came out of nowhere. Like, we we like you guys, and then all of a sudden it's like. Fuck Compton. <laughs> and then, like, name's a bunch of dudes. Dr. Dre, Easy, like, NWA.
0: DJ Quick, it, Compton's it, Most Wanted, yeah. Yeah. Ice-T, yeah. It,
1: it, I, I could see how that was that was the road that was going to happen, but no one really retaliates. He, and mm-hmm. he mentions that. It's like, nobody on the West Coast wanted to say anything because those are kind of our heroes. Like, mm-hmm. we're not going to come out and say, like, fuck New York. Like, like, New York is kind of where all our heroes are from. So. Yeah, it'd
0: be like LeBron James – or, like, yeah, like a, like you're a fan of, like, a certain sports team, and then, like, you know, they their main player says fuck you or whatever. It's, like, kind of puzzling kind of thing. yeah. You know? So you're not going to stop supporting that team. It's just that one guy kind of thing, yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I mean but – it, but it definitely, like, the thought of, like, man, fuck those guys, like, what's going on? It definitely started to cross their mind of, like, should we say more? Should we, like, fucking – escalate this like
0: and you know. dr dre on the chronic like and that was like one of the biggest like mysteries too like as a kid i didn't know who the fuck tim dog either i i didn't even i just i just i didn't know who that was I thought he was talking about some dude down the street or yeah. something like i got like when they were dissing easy e like on dre day and shit yeah. but like when he like snoop was calling him, like tim mut and shit like i didn't know what the fuck he was talking about but like now it makes sense because i was like oh okay we'll, we'll start saying shit because we're, we're real gangsters. We're not some fucking dude <laughs> like some New York suburb, you know, yeah. that really liked Run DMC and that we're offended that other people from another coast are saying something. Yeah. So there was kind of a response back on the chronic. Uh, but where it really starts to like spiral a little bit further is that like radio DJs, hip hop magazines, and particularly the source. And, you know, Ice Cube also, he was talking about this on Joe Rogan as well as, you know, throughout history um ice cube talks about this where it's like we would notice that hey we got people like too short who are selling platinum albums every single year we got you know nwa going double platinum we got you know obviously the chronic you know being bumped you know from here to fucking you know the international space station or whatever right but in hip-hop media and on hip-hop radio and this is important to note too Now, I mean, you turn on the radio and it's all hip-hop or whatever. There's, like, five or six, like, hip-hop stations. But back in the day, you'd be lucky if you had one radio station that would play, you know, hip-hop. MTV would play, like, one hip-hop video a day, and that would be it. Unless you were watching, like, Yo! MTV Raps or BET would play, you know, Rap City or whatever, right? It was a very—it wasn't where it is today. It was very congested. And you had artists that were blowing up from the West Coast— but they were getting no love on the East Coast with radio DJs, hip hop magazines. Like I said, in particularly the Source, uh, they would go out of their way to put a KRS-One who would barely move a hundred thousand units. Meanwhile, you have two short concurrently going platinum, and they're getting no love, you know, no coverage, you know, on the Source. And if they were, they were downplaying their albums. Like the Source even had to retrofit some of their original reviews of albums. I think they would give like two mics or three mics to like classic albums. And I know I'm just going to say this, like they, but like, like an album, like doggy style, like even though it is a classic or the chronic, that is a classic, they would go out of their way to make it a bad review because they felt like it was devaluing, you know, their product on the East coast. Even though, like they legitimately yeah. were putting out a, a you, know, le- you know legit five mic classic, then they had to you know in two thousand and one they had to go back and award those albums five mics, but it was a lot of like subtle like slights towards the West Coast and people, artists were taking note of this and getting really fucking pissed off about it.
1: You know, it's funny because at this time period, um, wasn't. Tupac and Biggie were kind of like the young up-and-comers. Mm-hmm. Not really a part of the scene just yet, but they were the young up-and-comers. And Tupac had already been signed by by a West Coast label. I don't think it was Death Row just yet, but he had interest on the West Coast. So and Biggie was still
0: unsigned. Yeah, so the way Tupac pictures into this is like he is an actor and a rapper and the way he gets his foot in the industry is through um, digital underground. Um, go back, you know, on your Apple music or Spotify, digital underground, right, yeah. right, right. right. They got the main guy from digital underground. Um, he's the guy that does like his alter ego is, you know, the Humpty hump or whatever. Mm. Right. But Tupac was like a background rapper and dancer for that group. And then, you know, he obviously gets his record deal, his solo record deal. And mind you, Tupac is born in Brooklyn. He was raised in Baltimore and then spent some of his youth out in Oakland. So he's very much kind of like an East Coast and a West Coast guy. His first album, I believe, is um Tupacalypse Now. It very much has like this like New York sound to it. And he's talking about a lot of fucking, you know, you know, Afrocentric. Um, you know, issues and, you know, it's very politically motivated, right? He's like, it sounds like a cousin to like a public enemy or whatever. Very strong album. Yeah. But very much like it's an Oakland rapper sounding like public enemy. Him and Biggie start to form this relationship when Tupac starts to film movies like, you know, Juice and Poetic Justice because he's out there filming those movies, you know, Mm -hmm. in New York. And, you know, he's having to do a lot of research for roles and so I guess like the way like Tupac and Biggie met is that Tupac was doing an interview with MTV and he was actually bumping one of Biggie's like, you know, mixtapes or his demo tapes or whatever. Right. Before he even gets signed by a bad boy, he sees this, takes note, he says, yo, I'm the guy that's rapping, you know, on that, you know, tape that you have bumping in there. So they formed like this friendship. Uh, Tupac, you know, he goes on to film movies like Above the Rim and whatnot and he's doing research for roles and he's modeling himself after, like, New York gangsters like this guy named Haitian Jack. And Biggie's like, yo, don't mess with that; those guys like that. Like, they are nothing but problems and whatnot, right? And so, like, Tupac's like, all right, cool. You know, I appreciate it. And, like, there's, like, fun stories about, like, them hanging out. And I never knew any of this. Mm-hmm. Like, where Tupac would come to, like, New York and he would have a whole trash bag full of weed. Uh, he would um, invite Biggie and all of, like, junior mafia which is Biggie's clique, which was like Little Kim, Little C's, and like all those rappers that rolled with him to Tupac's house. And like he would barbecue for him, cook him food and all this stuff, and like let him sleep, on his ha- sleep in his house and all these things and whatnot. And uh, they formed like this really strong bond where like eventually like Tupac would bring Biggie on the road with him and basically let Biggie in the middle of Tupac's set do his whole set kind of thing. So like they mm-hmm. were like very friendly artists with each other. And so I don't know if you want to fast forward into this story yet or not, uh, but it spirals into a certain point in Tupac's career where he starts to run into a whole bunch of trouble with the law, yeah. uh, he gets in trouble for shooting at off duty police officers he finds him in this he finds himself in the middle of like this rape allegation uh, dude that's a so that story that rape
1: allegation story is fucking weird because it's like. It's not so much Tupac rape allegation as that he allowed like other his friends to go in and like rape a girl like while she was unconscious and all this stuff and like, uh I don't know. I the more I looked into it, the more I'm like, dude, I have more questions than answers. While looking, I could see you know he he does serve some time for that, but it, but it is kind of a weird story altogether. Mm-hmm. I was like,
0: man, that's that's yeah. a weird like story altogether, because like he had consensual sex with a girl he gets up to go to the bathroom his friends go into the room and start having sex with her and from tupac's angle he's just like figure like oh she's a hoe and he, she's just having sex with these uh-huh. other guys after me or whatever but and i guess he bounces or whatever and i guess it comes out later that those guys actually raped her or whatnot so tupac's like legitimately like puzzled, like dude i'm being accused of being in concert with people not actually doing the rape or whatever but anyways, we say all this because at this time, this is like we where Tupac's like what? Like 22 years old at this time? Uh-huh. Like he's like finding himself like in the middle of all of these like legal battles. Mind you, he's having to take care of his mom, all of his family, like with all of his rap earnings. And mind you, he's not like a platinum selling artist at this time. He's doing considerably well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is in movies like Juice and, you know, Above the Rim and shit like that. But like he's like not only having to take care of himself, but he's taking care of his family and taking care of all of these legal bills. Like he has like problems from like Atlanta, New York and LA, like all over the place that he's having to handle and shit. And so the the story goes that like he's just like, you know what? I'm just gonna make appearances on people's records, like I'll cut him a discount. And I guess Mm -hmm. like he was like gonna get like seven thousand dollars for doing a verse on a little Sean record and i don't even know who the fuck little yeah, sean is. That is yeah and apparently it doesn't happen but um what happens is is november 30th in 1994 uh tupac you know he's walking down the street in new york and he's walking to this quad studio which is i guess near times square and as he's walking down the street um little sees who's a part of like biggie's crew he sees uh tupac going down the street and he's like yo Pac, what's up and you know they start to talk in typical new york fashion where you know he's like three stories up and like tupac's on the ground you know talking back and forth to him and he's telling him like hey man i'm here to record a verse and he's like oh yeah me and big and puff we're up here we're recording you know uh, this song called get money or whatever and like he's like all right cool man i'll see you in a minute and i guess as soon as tupac enters the recording studio in the lobby two um robbers you know hold everyone up and hold them hostage i guess tupac uh he hesitates for a minute because he's got you know, a you know a gun in his waistband. He's like, hey, what do I do something? And I guess he hesitated too long to get down on the floor. Yeah. And he gets shot five times. And it's crazy because, like, I never knew the extent of this. Mm-hmm. But I guess he gets shot two times in the head, one time in the chest, and then one time in the testicle. Damn. And I guess somewhere else, too. But I was just like, man, like, he literally gets fucked up like he somehow survives this right yeah um and as he's being stretchered out puffy and biggie come down uh the elevator and immediately he's just like yo i've been set up they knew that those people were in the studio and this is tupac's mine right mind you this might not be the actual truth they set me up they knew that this was gonna happen they jacked him for forty thousand dollars worth of cash I don't know what you were doing walking down New York with $40,000 yeah. in cash and I guess like $20,000 in jewelry. Um, so in his mind, he thinks Biggie and uh, Puffy set him up, and um, he gets checked into a hospital but checks himself out the very next day. He gets shot five times, two times in the head, one times in the testicle, yeah. checks him out of the fucking hospital because he has a court date the next day in New York where he gets convicted of being in concert for a rape, yeah. and gets sent to jail,
1: yeah. So maybe my uh, my storyline, like the the timeline, is uh is is a little off, but this is all happening right before the uh, big Source Music Awards Correct. are about to happen, and this is really where where everything is kind of escalating very quickly. Because Biggie was recording his 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 album. He was doing the Get Money song. Mm-hmm. But one of the other songs that had, I believe, already been recorded.
0: Yeah, before this shooting actually. B- gets-
1: before all this happened was another song called Who Shot Ya? And that's really where a lot of this drama is about to really escalate. Because there was tension before with the Tim Dog song. But again, nobody really cared about Tim Dog. Like, Tim Dog was a fucking, like, ant in the hip-hop industry. Like compared to what was about to happen. But Biggie was blowing up. Tupac had been in movies. You know, what was happening on the West Coast was that West Coast was really taking over. You know, the chronic was really big. Snoop Dogg was really big. Like everybody wanted to be Doctor Dre and Snoop Dogg on the West Coast. They were blowing up the source who was the the the, the, the you know, before there was internet and blogs and all this shit, before there they were, were the people Bible hip hop. You know, if yeah, if it was hip hop, the source told you what was cool and what was not cool, and it was starting to become more and more undeniable that hip hop, w- West Side hip hop, was was a thing now. So that happening, and you know, not that long after, a song coming out called "Who Shot Ya" really created a division between the two things, mm-hmm. and if the division was there. But nobody wanted to say it. It was about to get said on national television. Yeah. Because this is really where the story really, really, like, you know, if Tim Dong threw a match in there, this is fucking flame Snoop Dogg thrower. and Suge Knight throwing a fucking <laughs> nuclear bomb into this thing because <laughs> it gets
0: really escalated here. And to kind of go back a little bit to marinate on the Who Shot You song, it, it's really important to note that, again, like you said, that song was recorded before. For the yeah. quad the quad studio shooting, but the way the record companies worked at that time is, is you recorded a song, it had to go through you know the departments and whatnot, and you know they had to add you know little finishing touches on it, and it was a much slower process, so it came out three months after it was actually recorded, which <laughs> in real time, Tupac gets shot in November. And by February of 95, Who Shot Ya?, which is a B-side to the Big Papa single, comes out. And it seemingly seems like he's talking directly to Tupac because just the month before uh, Tupac in jail, because he gets convicted, you know, the very next day after he gets shot of, you know, rape allegations, quote-unquote, uh, he's in jail at Rikers Island, you know, like the worst prison you can be in in fucking, you know, in New York. He does a, an interview with Vibe Magazine, and he the it's a very popular magazine where it's just like, is Tupac crazy? And it shows him, like, in a straight jacket in jail. And, like, it's this very lengthy article where he's talking in detail about how he knows Puffy and Biggie set him up. And it wasn't explicitly Puffy and Biggie who shot him, but it was Bi- associates with Biggie. Now, I mentioned Haitian Jack, and there was another uh, gentleman, uh, and I have his name written down somewhere else, Uh, But it's people that were also affiliated with Biggie's crew that he knew. So it's just like, how could he not know who shot him, right? And I guess Puffy went down to Rikers and assured him, like, hey, we had nothing to do with this. We had no idea that they were there. And he goes, How the fuck you know that I'm coming? Little Caesar was like in the fucking window, like watching me coming down the street, but you don't know those other guys came down the street and those are also your homies and they robbed and shot me. How could you not know? And I can kind of see where Tupac is coming wow. from at that point, right? You're like, we're supposed to be good. Like I barbecued for you, I let you sleep on the couch and shit like that. And so he does that interview with Vibe. I believe that's like in December comes out in January or whatnot, February, the next month. Biggie comes out with a song called Who Shot Ya? Yeah. And DJ Quick does an interview, with I think was Vlad TV, where he says, like, if I didn't know any better, you know, he goes, the actual producer of that song comes out and is like, yo, this song was recorded way before this all happened. has not- And when you listen to the lyrics, it has nothing to do with Tupac. But if I didn't know any better, I would have thought, too, that, like, hey, this was talking about shooting Tupac. Yeah. But I guess it wasn't or whatever, right? So... Fast forward to what R was talking about in August of 1995, the Source Awards. This is where you get those famous quotes. Yeah. And I watched the entire, like, award ceremony, like, on YouTube, which uh-huh. is f- available in super low quality and shit. Yeah. And it was, a, like, it was, like, one of the most fucking badass fucking award shows ever. But there was a lot of tension in the air from the get, even before Suge even, like, opens his mouth or whatever, right? The crowd is rowdy. It's in the middle of New York. They're booing. I think OutKast wins, like, Best New Artist. Yeah. And they're an artist that's, like, not (laughs) even from, like, the East or West Coast. They're straight from Atlanta or whatever, right? Of all people, Andre 3000 kind of stirs the pot
1: a little bit. Yeah. By saying, you know, like, everyone in here is talking about East Coast versus West Coast. Well, the South has something to say. And, like, that to me was just, like, you know, it was, like, the first time. And I think they win the award pretty early in the award ceremony. Mm -hmm. That... It's, like, the first time that it's, like, clearly stated East Coast versus West Coast, and they, and they but the South has something to say about it. Mm-hmm. It's the first time that really it's been acknowledged versus, like, that there are two sides to this and they don't like each other. Yeah. But nobody had said it up until, like, now it's been said. Mm-hmm. Tim Dog kind of said it, whatever. No one really cared. West Coast didn't even care. But, like, this is the first time and it's being said in a room full of rappers where it's, mm-hmm. like, oh, now
0: it's – it's, it's out there. like So <laughs> Death Row, and Death Row puts on like a hell of a performance too. Like all of the hits that you've heard from like 92 up until 95, yeah. like they perform like a melody of that shit like at the yeah. award show. And pretty much, you know, the crowd shuts the fuck up because <laughs> the music does the talking for it. Yeah. Uh, but then I believe it's like two segments later, Death Row wins the award for best – um, soundtrack album, which is for Above the Rim, uh-huh. a Tupac movie, right? The movie that he actually has to do research for, you know, his character, which is Haitian Jack, the guy that ends up shooting him. Jimmy Henchman's the other guy mm-hmm. that robs Tupac or whatever, right? But anyways, uh, this is like that famous quote where... Sug for whatever reason. He has no involvement in, it, in making the record, but he accepts the award for yeah. best, you know, soundtrack. Well,
1: a bunch of the Death Rogue is this when he brings out like a bunch of guys on
0: stage with him? It was just one guy, Danny Boy. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: There's another time where like they win something and like he brings like twenty guys on stage with him and it's like, Oh man, what the fuck is going
0: on? Well it was after this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because they win a bunch of awards, but he gets up on stage. And he says any artist that wants to be an artist and doesn't want the executive producer dancing all in the videos all in the videos. Yeah.
1: The famous
0: <laughs> quote or whatever, right? He goes, "Come to Death Row." And he's obviously taking a shot at Puff yeah. Daddy because at this time Puff Daddy's always in the video yeah. dancing, saying something, and the song don't have anything to do with him. You know, it's funny about that. And we'll get into it later on, but we'll do,
1: you know, skip around a little bit. Um Puff Daddy does go out up to him after the, like, at the after party and says, like, hey, who were you talking about? And then he says, oh, man, I w- you know I wasn't talking about you. I was talking about Jermaine Dupree. <laughs> ah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, like, really funny because Jermaine Dupree at this time period, like, he hadn't really blown up. He hadn't started rapping mm-hmm. by himself. But, um, I, I thought that was a really, really funny thing. Like I wow, was like, I didn't know about that.
0: That's that is a little bit of a chicken shit moment for for, for Suge from Suge. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of chicken shit stories <laughs> with Suge. He's not the monster he makes himself out to be. Uh, but it's funny because to bounce around a little bit, Puffy actually, and I'll give Puffy props for this. Yeah. He actually comes out later in the night, you know, because after Suge says this, like tensions start escalating more and more in the crowd. The crowd gets more and more rowdy or whatever, yeah. right? Uh, but later on in the show, Puffy comes out and he goes, I'm the executive producer that comment was made about. And he goes, all this East Coast, West Coast shit needs to stop. I forgot what. I think he was presenting an award or something. And, like, Faith Evans was, like, right next to him. And so. But I'll give Puffy props for that. He calls yeah. it, like, straight shot. I agree. Whatever. I think, you know, he
1: – I felt a lot of people were trying to escalate it. And he was really trying to, like, yo, this is fucking stupid, dude. Like, like we're out here, we're making a lot of money, and like you guys are trying to start a war. And like, come on, this is fucking stupid to try yeah, to do yeah. this. Childish,
0: but you're talking about like, people that are like in their early twenties, yeah, like yeah. with a lot of money or notoriety or whatever, right? Um, but um, further on in the night, again, the crowd just keeps getting rowdier and rowdier and rowdier or whatnot, right? And,
1: and the funny thing about that is when Shug Knight did that, that first one where Shug Knight went up there, um. Quest Love, the drummer for The Roots. He talked about how that happened, and he told like his crew, and they were like, "We're getting out of here right now. We're all leaving." <laughs> <laughs> and so the the roots pretty much took off, which are like Philadelphia rappers. They have no like, they're like, "We're not part of this shit. We're out of yeah. here."
0: Yeah, we're East Coast, but not really. <laughs> yeah. Like we're we're next to the office <laughs> in Scranton, Dunder Mifflin, and shit, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, exactly. Like there was there's a lot of stories like that where people were taking off because the crowd was just getting rowdy and rowdy, and it was a New York crowd all the way, right? They had yeah. strength in numbers. I mean yeah Death Row was present. Yeah, they're yeah. affiliated with Bloods and Crips or whatever, but you know, you had Wu-Tang showing up with like ski mask on and shit like that. Like yeah. these guys
1: are like not these guys are like literally removed a few months, a few years removed from, like, being drug dealers and, like, doing crimes, like, in <laughs> yeah. New York streets, and, like, now they're at the Source
0: Awards. Yeah, Shaolin is just outside of the folk, those fucking doors and shit, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. right? So they got all the confidence in the world. And so Dr. Dre wins fucking producer of the year or whatever, right? And then the booze just, like, fucking come echoing down because he beats DJ Premier, who is on the East Coast, uh-huh. their version of Dr. Dre or whatever, and you just hear the booze right down or whatever. And so Dr. Dre gets up there, and you can tell he's about to do it same thing Pub Daddy was going to do or whatever. Like, he's just like, oh, man, why, I'm getting too old for this shit or yeah. whatever at the old age of 27 years old and yeah. shit.
1: And so Snoop Dogg, he says like two words. He's like, yeah, I just want to make sure everyone's cool. And then literally Snoop Dogg comes out, and this is the fucking <laughs> – this is the most iconic point of the entire award show yeah. where he's like holding a cane <laughs> or something. Like where's it? where did Snoop Dogg come out with a cane in that – just the imagery of Snoop Dogg at that age holding a cane, like I think he has like a blue bandana tied around the cane. Like yeah. it, it looks like fucking like like General Patton up there, dude. Like, <laughs> like he gives that speech and like, You ain't got no love for Snoop Dogg you Dr. Dre and
0: Snoop love. Dogg? He's like, You ain't got no love for the West Coast? Yeah, and, and it's like, like, like Boo.
1: Oh my god. He goes, dude. Well
0: let it be known then. We know where we at New York's in the motherfucking house. Let it be known then. It's on. Like and I'm yeah. like, holy shit, Snoop, you are like hundred and twenty pounds. Calm down. Yeah.
1: That is like the, the straw that broke the camel's back. There was no coming back. There was no, hey, uh pup, can you come back up here and just say like everything's cool? Like, <laughs> Can't stop, won't stop. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> yeah. It was intense. Like just yeah. seeing Snoop Dogg
0: do that was really intense. Mm-hmm. So fast forward uh to the next month. So this is August third of nineteen ninety-five. Uh, Speaking of Jermaine Dupree, Jermaine Dupree was having a birthday party in Atlanta where both sides, both the death row contingent and the bad boy contingent, was there in full force. Uh, So September 23rd, 1995, uh, it was at the Platinum City Nightclub in Atlanta, and Suge Knight's bodyguard, Big Jake Robles, was shot to death by Puff Daddy's bodyguard, uh, Wolf, and this is again another point where it's just like it gave more credence to like it stepped the fucking game up where it's like it was east coast west coast but now your bodyguard killed my body bodyguard slash best friend oh it's fucking on yeah damn that's intense i did not know that and i didn't know that either
1: yeah damn those bodyguards they write a song about them (laughs) 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 i I only say that because like oh suge knight's bodyguard uh What's his name? Jay Z has a song called Lucifer, which is an amazing song. The song Lucifer, where he talks about his bodyguard that died, mm. and it's like, man, that's a. It was worth dying for the for for Jay Z to come up with that song. That's an amazing top ten Jay Z at his like
0: finest. But yeah, so it's important to note too. Going back to the Source Awards, before Suge Knight starts any of that stuff with the produ- executive producer talk, he actually gives props to Tupac. Uh, because, this again, Tupac's in prison, you know, serving his time and whatnot. They're in New York, and the whole reason why Suge Knight traveled with Death Row for the Source Awards, again, he's not—he's just the executive producer. Like, he just mm-hmm. needs to sign the checks and, you know, send yeah. them on their merry way. You don't see Jimmy Iovine going to the Grammys and, you know, getting up on stage and talking shit to fucking Rick Rubin and shit. Like, that shit just yeah. doesn't happen or whatever. But the whole reason why he was in New York is because he was talking to Tupac. Snoop Dogg had told Suge Hey, yo, we need to get Tupac on our team. He's already signed to Interscope, which distributed all of Death Row's records. Why don't we just get him officially on Death Row? He's having problems with, you know, legal problems with all this shit. We have top notch fucking, you know, lawyers because yeah. they were getting Snoop Dogg off of murder and Dr. Dre off from beating up D Barnes and <laughs> running. I think uh, he was. Um, I knew this story, but I didn't know the details. But I guess, like, he had this Lamborghini that he was doing, like, 180 miles an hour during, through Beverly Hills, like, running from the LAPD, literally, like, Grand Theft Auto style and shit. Uh-huh. So they had, like, a good crack, you know, lawyer team or whatever. But Snoop Dogg tells Suge, like, hey, you should bail Tupac out of prison and have him on our team. Like, he already has beef with all these fools that we're having problems with and shit. Why don't you invite him, you know, to come to death row? So they go to... um rikers uh in october 95 shook bails him out with 1.4 million dollar bond and signs uh, tupac to i think it's like a three album deal to death row records and this is where like all of that animosity just even further escalates once tupac joins death row yeah no absolutely i mean (sighs)
1: um is this the first album that is the album that has hit him
0: up on it um, well, Hit Him Up comes up a little bit later. But yeah, so between this time frame, so he gets bailed out October 12th of 1995, and from October 13th through 1995 through December of 1995, Tupac records uh, All Eyes on Me, which mm-hmm. is like the fucking diamond-selling fucking double album that comes out in 96, has California Love on it and all uh-huh. that shit. And when you listen to that album, and I was listening to that album all throughout this week it doesn't really make any mentions of like any east coast west coast stuff and when he's talking about you know getting shot five times resurrected like all this shit that people think is like Tupac <laughs> faked his own death because we get shot later on you know in 96 or whatever yeah that, that he's just talking about that incident or whatever everything that he was dwelling on in prison is literally he makes like a double album which becomes the classic all eyes on me yeah but after he gets done recording that album This is, like, where he starts to feel, he gets all that energy out about all that shit or whatever. This is where he really starts to take on, like, the beef from Suge Knight. And Snoop Dogg talks about this, too, where, like, Suge can rub you a good way, like, in the business sense of it. But he can also rub you the wrong way in the street, you know, crip and blood kind of way or whatever, right? So Tupac goes from being, like, this very politically conscious, like, son of a Black Panther, you know, public enemy type of rapper to being this straight up just solidary fucking gangster rapper and he takes on like that beef that Suge and Puff have and he goes full bore, full bore with what his thoughts and sentiments were about Biggie and um, Puff were during that shooting and writes that song Hit em Up which in my yeah. opinion is like the dopest fucking diss track of all time. It's also like the meanest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he talks it is about the fucking his wife and shit. Yeah. yeah,
1: and there's a whole thing. Is it Faith Evans that's mm-hmm. his wife at the time period, and how like she may or may not have been faithful to <laughs> to Biggie, <laughs> and all. There's all kinds of things going on around that time period. Uh, but yeah, it is the fucking meanest, like this
0: track out there like i don't know if it gets any worse than that. He literally starts the song that's why i fucked your bitch you fat motherfucker. Yeah. And what Arts talking about too, i guess like bef- during this time period, um Tupac invites Faith Evans to a recording session and says like, "Hey, we'll give you $250,000, a quarter of a million dollars if you sing on this song." And i don't know how she didn't think like this was going to be a fucking setup. Yeah. And she talks about it too and she's like, "Yeah, you know, me and Biggie were married, but like we were going through some shit because like he was over here fucking little Kim, getting her pregnant, and beating the shit out of both Faith Evans and little Kim. So I mean, Biggie isn't the angel that some people make him out to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she was kind of like the estranged wife of Biggie or whatever. Tupac invites her to record this song for a quarter of a million dollars and says like, "Hey, let's like let's do this recording session. Let's put it into all this East Coast West Coast beef or whatever, right?" and i guess after she gets done like recording the song that i don't think ever comes out tupac invites her to like the hotel room and says hey i'll pay you at the hotel that's where the money's at or whatever right but before i pay you you got to fucking sleep with me and depending on who you believe and who you don't believe she either did sleep with tupac or she didn't sleep with tupac uh but it's still like kind of like a shitty fucking pawn move to make whatever, yeah. right
1: yeah that's that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty low, man. Yeah, that's pretty low from Tupac, man. Um, I don't know. I I didn't know like that part of it. I just thought it was like he paid her to be on the song, and then they just ended up hooking up or something. Mm-hmm. I well, don't know. Maybe. I didn't know it
0: was like prostitution to like the hi- <laughs> highest level. Like, I, I I don't know. Like depending on who you <laughs> believe, like either Faith Evans recorded the song and didn't get paid for it, her version, uh-huh. or the version that many other people tell is that like yeah she did take the two fifty and. Fuck Tupac,
1: yeah, damn, um, yeah. I don't know, that's that. I mean, yeah, that whatever happens happens, but it's like that, that is like the ultimate like diss track. Like, it's it's a pretty like the first verse of that song is like some of the hardest shit. And then, like, um, who's Tupac's crew? Is it the Outlaws? Mm-hmm. They come out and they don't, you know, they're not Tupac, so they're just like <laughs> saying a bunch of random shit in the background, but. Um, yeah, it it is a pretty fucking, like, intense song. You know,
0: hard to listen to, it, like, knowing the background of the story. But, yeah, yeah. it's pretty intense. So that's how powerful, like, that is. And then, like, Shock G, the guy that does the Humpty Hump from Digital Underground, uh-huh. he has, like, a really, like, sad interview where he's, like, it's at that moment where, like, I didn't recognize my best friend Tupac anymore. he had become somebody else. He became, like, Suge Knight's pawn. And like this whole East Coast, West Coast thing, because he's like a lot of people don't realize this is like Tupac's fucking half of his family lived out in New York. Uh-huh. So it's just like it was wild to see that he was so firmly entrenched, like in this battle as a West Coast artist when he has literally multiple family members in New York kind of thing.
1: Yeah, that that is pretty sad. You know, Tupac gets gets like uh, gets a lot of love in California and 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 people in California will always love Tupac. But, you know, you start to see, like, the, the the you know, the devils that surround people, like, mm. really fucking with, with like, terrible decisions. And, you know, you start becoming the company that you keep. And, you know, Suge Knight, you know, that guy really fucking, like, brought out the worst in people. Oh, like, 100%. So much so that even at this time period, already Dr. Dre was like, maybe I should probably leave. Yeah. This seems to be escalating pretty quickly, <laughs> like... I could probably do this as, like, a solo artist and, like... Yeah. You know, and that's happening in the background. Not the main part of the story happening right now, but The Chronic was already a huge success and really wants to just not be part of this, like, whole gangster thing that's happening right now because like, it looks like it's escalating. Mm-hmm. E- even at this time period, I think uh, Biggie was had already released uh, Life After Death and li- or Life After Ready, After ready Death, to Die. Ready to Die. Was it was Ready to Die? No, no sorry. It- R- is, Life After Death is the one that he does um, after he dies. He does after he dies, and that's the one with um, going back to Cali on it, which is a really sad song if you really think about it. Because um, it, the whole song is about like being going to California and like understanding that California is really dangerous. And the song has like a G funk like beat to it, which is really interesting because it sounds completely different than all the other songs. But the the vibe was already like there it, we knew it was different you know it was and one of my favorite biggie songs to be honest with you but um but the vibe was like the the energy was was completely different now like now it was more divided than ever everybody in like the streets i guess was like west coast like at least here in california like it felt like everybody took sides oh yeah Uh, definitely you know ice cube had done that west coast connection stuff they uh uh, bow bow down down. bow down we you you know come to my town yeah Yeah. and it's like you knew like everybody all of a sudden had a song california related like everybody was like here's my california west coast song here's my east coast this song you know like Mm -hmm. and like it was really really weird but at the same time like at a, as a kid, I thought it was really, really cool. Like you felt like you were part of the game. It felt like sports, though. Yeah, yeah. to me,
0: like because like, and I've always viewed it as like NBA, like where it's like it was always East versus West, right? In yeah. the NBA, right? Like that was the NBA Finals, the the top team from the West versus the top team in the East. And it's important to note too, like at the same time, like yeah, Biggie became like the king of New York hip hop, and once like Ready to Die uh, came out in '95. Um, he, he took it from that point where it was like all cheesy like run DMC like costumes to so like oh this is our version of like street hip hop like yeah no we're not Bloods and Crips you know making records or whatever right but legitimately Biggie was a crack dealer then later on you get you know the Wu-Tang Clan who was very street kind of nerdy because they were a bunch of <laughs> street dudes that you know watched yeah. a bunch of 70's Kung Fu clips but then later on, like Nas, you know, with Illmatic, And then also, too, you know, you get Jay-Z later on with like Reasonable Doubt and shit. Where it was like these street guys who aren't trying to pretend to be Run-DMC. But then also, too, being street in their own New York way. Kind of taking a page out of NWA's book where it's just like, we're not going to copycat what's going on. This is still hip-hop, but we're going to stay true to ourselves in a current kind of way. So you did have in a way, I think a healthy rivalry where like all these really great artists, again, Illmatic, one of the best lyrical albums of all time, if not the best lyrical album of all time, Enter the 36 Chambers by the Wu-Tang Clan, one of the best fucking, you know, group albums of all time and shit. Mm -hmm. Again, Ready to Die, you know, an absolute classic, you know, so a lot of great art was made during this time. You mentioned, you know, Ice Cube, you know, Bow Down, that album's really good. I was listening to that today at the gym Mm -hmm. and like, It kind of gets lumped into this East Coast, West Coast beef because on the MTV surface of it all, it made it seem like that. But the majority of that album was just taking shots at, you know, The Source and, you know, New York publications, you know, like I think Rap Pages as well, who were downplaying like the success of West Coast artists. And then um, obviously like artists like Common, who were saying that you know the West Coast ruined hip-hop with songs like I Used to Love Her and stuff like that. So kind of like calling a spade a spade kind of thing, like holding them accountable. So you did have a, like a lot of great art being made from this. But then mm-hmm. back on the street level of it all, while this was happening, I guess in December of 95, uh, the Dog Pound, <coughs> Snoop Dogg's crew, uh, they were actually in Times Square, or in Brooklyn, I want to say, recording their song called new york new york which is you mentioned biggies going back to cali as being kind of a tribute towards west coast you know music new york in new york originally was supposed to be a tribute towards you know east coast music mm-hmm. the stuff that like snoop daz and corrupt who's from philadelphia you know grew up on and shit so they're in new york You know, And you can see in the music video, like there's two parts to the music video. The first part where it's just them on the street just rapping about New York, New York. And then Biggie, he gets wind of this. And he says like, yo, he's like on a radio station. I think it's like Funkmaster Flex's um, uh, program. The name escapes me. But he says, yo, New York, stand up. Are we going to allow this? We're going to allow these cats from the West Coast to fucking film in our neighborhood and talk shit about New York? Stand up. Tupac and the Dog Pound are recording at X, Y, and Z Street. And the story goes, two hours later, that film set gets fucking shot up. And as it turns out, Tupac wasn't there at all. It was Snoop Dogg that was there with the Dog Pound. And so what they did is, or Suge does, is they splice in those segments where they are in New York, and then you get the <laughs> the second part of the video where Snoop Dogg's like knocking down like uh, buildings in the background, uh, like Godzilla and shit. Yeah, because of what Biggie did. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: dude, so much weird shit going on. Like honestly, the, it's a really weird time period during this. Um, I when did Illmatic come out? Ninety four. Ninety four. Like ninety four, like New York State of Mind. Mm-hmm. People bring that up as like if it was a diss track towards the West Coast, which has nothing to do with the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Like it's literally just more of like the everyday livings of 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 a New Yorker mm-hmm. struggling. And like I don't know, I just everybody was reading too much into a lot of things, and I, I do think Snoop Dogg was not helping. Like Snoop Dogg was like, <laughs> you know, being super young and really immature. Like. Not not really helping with with how much things were being escalated, and I don't know even like Ice Cube at this time period like he was already like dipping his feet more into acting like people were winding out of this like it was yeah you know Dr Dre pretty much radio silence at this point like mm. I don't know I it, it was a weird like the beginnings of it to me like ninety four ninety two ninety three ninety four like it was to me it was like the more intense like this is really cool part of it once like 96 97 started to happen 95 96 97 like it almost felt like mm, this is all like childish this yeah this is way out of proportion now like this is no longer fun like and i mean something had to like something had to happen something had to happen where where like you know snoop dogg gets shot at in new york you know luckily snoop dogg is not injured he's not he's you know he's still selling vic vape lighters you know (laughs) so um you know he's still selling coronas with with andy samberg andy samberg so like (laughs) um yeah i mean luckily you know we still have snoop dog but uh you knew something bad was about to happen
0: yeah it was there was like the pimple had to explode at this point so um fast forward to uh september of 1996 and again a lot of this happens, like, in 95, and then a lot of this plays out, like, in 96. So, like, you know, yeah, of course, like, Hit em Up and all that shit is, like, recorded, like, in 95. But a lot of, again, the way the music industry worked, it was before the internet. It took months for all this to hit the press or whatever, right? So all of this hits the press. On the East Coast, you get the Source magazine, you know, hyping everything up to the nth degree. And then on the West Coast, you also had Vibe magazine, which was mm-hmm. a magazine that was owned by Quincy Jones. Oh, yeah. Tupac was dating Quincy Jones's fucking daughter, uh Kadita Jones. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I think they were actually engaged to get married at that point before he died. Uh so obviously they took sides with the West Coast, so it even played out like in publications like oh, vibe man, and so cringe. <laughs> the but, source.
1: Yeah, I, I mean we hadn't really talked about Mob Deep. Mob Deep was, you know, also another like very strong not a publication but the rap group Mob Deep. Mm-hmm. Um they did their track, the La La or whatever, like oh LA <laughs> or like it's it's supposed to be a play on like oh no La no that's La ca-
0: yeah Capone and Noriega do L A L A and then Mob Deep do uh, drop a gem on them
1: yeah it's like it's so much like weird shit was happening like things that like just felt uninteresting to me mm-hmm. and, like at, at this point it's like you know what let me let me check out what Corn's doing like <laughs> <laughs> I keep hearing good things about this Corn band so, uh, I don't know I mean I I. For me personally, you know, I was like obsessed with like rap music in the early 90s and then it felt like in the later 90s, like, you know, 96, that's when like the Puff Daddy era started to take over, which was popular, but I wasn't that into like, sorry, I'm going to sneeze. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, And maybe that's why I wasn't in that into it. Like maybe like the West Coast, East Coast, West Coast thing started to like really like, like not jive well for me maybe because the west coast was not as strong that Tup, now that uh sorry not tupac dr dre wasn't doing like everyone's Mm
0: -hmm. music everything was like a copycat of what dr Dre had already done five years like the
1: g-funk sound became like a parody of itself and it was just like nothing interesting was happening west coast at least to me personally west coast had become like hey let's just keep mumble rapping like if you know if if like Modern day mumble rappers mm-hmm. or whatever, like let's just keep doing that. It really felt like that. Uninspired. It was really, yeah, exactly. And this was the only
0: thing that was inspiring people it, was this. Yeah. yeah,
1: Every once in a while, you would have like one song come out that's like, hey, that's really cool. Like you know, like nothing. But nothing West Coast was was really interesting. The East Coast was bringing out more and more interesting things, but also the East Coast became more and more like radio friendly with like Puff Fat Daddy Joe and shit. Like yeah, that, it was yeah. like, well, what if Puff Daddy came out and even like. Will Smith came back into rapping all of a sudden. It's like, let me put out some rap songs mm-hmm. for my whatever movie I have out at this time. Wow, Wow West, <laughs> you know, Men in Black.
0: And it was just like, oh man, like
1: mm-hmm. it, it all felt kind of blah to me.
0: And the way that we got to that part is, is that like it was like you were leading into before is like in September, September 7th, after a Mike Tyson fight, hmm. um, and I remember this too, cause I watched this Mike Tyson fight. Um, Mike Tyson versus Bruce Seldon, and Tupac actually wrote Mike Tyson's like walkout music too. Like it was, it was, it was fucking badass. And of course, Mike Tyson knocks out Bruce Seldon like you know within the first round or whatever. Typical like you know nineties, you know Mike Tyson or whatever, yeah. right? Uh, but then Tupac again acting a fool with Suge Knight, Suge Knight being you know the bad you know influence here. They see someone in the lobby who apparently had stole a death row medallion from somebody's bodyguard or something like that, right? And so they go over there and they beat the shit out of him. The only problem is that guy that they beat the shit out of is it was a Southside Crip named Orlando Anderson. So Orlando Anderson, he goes back to his hotel room, probably at the Luxor or the Excalibur or whatever, right? And they fucking go on a fucking manhunt for Tupac and Suge Knight. We know how this story ends, because we did a whole episode about it. They fucking shoot the shit out of, you know, Suge Knight's fucking black BMW. Tupac takes like what, like six or seven shots. Uh, totally deflates his left or right lung. He's in intensive care for a few days, and then his mom has to take him off life support. And on September 13th, 96, the world loses Tupac. And the whole, I remember this day too, because like the whole world like just seemed to stop. You know, it was kind of like when Kurt Cobain, you know, died. Like the day, it's like the day the music died kind of thing, right? And I remember it was this big, sad thing. And then you started to see like the wheel started to turn where it's just like, you know, you had like all of these reconciliation attempts like, you know, where Louis Farrakhan held like this rap summit at some Mm -hmm. mosque or whatever. Snoop Dogg and Puff Daddy were like on the Steve Harvey show like trying to call a truce and shit, like trying to end all of this beef. And then the fucked up thing is, is is six months later when Biggie does come back to Cali, and it's at the Peterson Automotive Museum. Right in front of it, yeah. Yeah, which is crazy because there's like a... Me and my girlfriend actually parked when we went to the Peterson Museum right where Biggie got shot. And it's like the eeriest fucking mm. feeling. Well, it's,
1: it's an intersection. Yeah. The, the little intersection
0: there. But there's like a little spot where you can park like on the street, which I don't recommend doing. Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, I just wanted to do it just to be like a parking you know part of history or whatever, right? And you just get this eerie fucking feeling. He gets assassinated by, again, we did a whole episode about this, um, you know, by an, a cop that was being paid off by Suge Knight. The Rampart uh, uh, scandal deserves to be a topic in its own self. But um, yeah, some crooked cop working for Suge Knight, you know, murders Biggie or whatever. And this is kind of like where, like, this whole thing, like, where everyone's just like, hey, yo, this has got to stop. Like, This is some dumb street shit. Like, we're out here, like, just making rap records. 99% of us aren't real gangsters. Ice Cube isn't a gangster. Tupac was never a gangster. Yes, Biggie sold crack, but he was a fucking straight-A student that, you know, lived in the suburbs. Mm -hmm. Like, he's not a gangster. Dr. Dre is not a gangster. Yes, Snoop Dogg was a crip, but he got out of that lifestyle. Like, we need to just turn our lives around. Like, this is literally, like, what we were making music to do, is to get out of the hood, now we're making the mu- the the rap industry into the hood, basically, right? Yeah. And so this is like where you started to see like the wheels turn. It's kind of like what we talked about like with new metal, where like it fell out of favor after September 11th because mm-hmm. it, like it just didn't feel good anymore. Yeah. Like everything, like all of the all of the wind had got knocked out of like the industry, and just, again, this is where you, like the rise of Puff Daddy. Yeah. You know, with, like, that whole, like, bling and shiny shoot shit and yeah. Will Smith, you know, going to Miami and shit, you know? It, it,
1: that was the turning point.
0: You know, Biggie
1: dying, Tupac dying. Like, you know, it was like, yeah, maybe we don't want to be that violent. Maybe we just want to have fun. And, mm-hmm. like, it, yeah, I agree. That was Puff Daddy all of a sudden wearing the sparkly things and, like, mm-hmm. you know, coming out with mace and all this stuff. And, like, Puff Daddy and mace were kind of, like, the most popular dudes for a while there. And then, you know, then like the bling bling era happened and mm-hmm. whatever happened to hip hop, you know, after that, it was like a bunch of like the big baggy NBA era, or whatever, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> that was happening. Um, but, um, but it really did feel like a, the moment like Biggie died, it was like the, it was like, well, that chapter is over. Like it was a really sad moment. I remember when that happened, Like, I think Tupac died and then, like, Selena died, which deserves its own episode. But, like, when Selena died, like, they died pretty close to each other. And they were both really popular, you know, in in California, you know, Mm -hmm. being, like, hip-hop and then, like, you know, in a very Spanish-speaking community that, you know, is Southern California. When that happened, man, I remember, like, it felt like, man, everyone's out here fucking dying, like, like tupac died selena died like fuck mm. like yeah and we were like little ass kids i remember Ross being all depressed and yeah, shit dude, yeah I, I remember ross like bringing it up like in like fucking fourth or third grade or whatever and that dude's you know coming out all traumatized because selena died and shit like you know like it was it was a real like it was weird man seeing like you know kids should not have to see watch their, their heroes die watch yeah. their heroes die you know like it's you're supposed to watch your heroes die when, like, fucking, you know, they're forty. They're old, you know. Like, well, you know, I was gonna say like the Beatles, but then I guess John Lennon got shot in the head too. So yeah, but um, but he deserved it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, uh, but um, uh, but you know, you know, like David Bowie, like David Bowie's a good example. Mm-hmm. Of, like, we got to see David Bowie's entire life you know, grow into an older man. and Correct, yeah. You know, natural process of, of life and death. But, like, this is, like, Tupac, he was, like, 24 years old. Like, mm-hmm. these guys were super young. They were, mm-hmm. like, the youngest in their crew. You know, like, it's really, really sad. Biggie, how old was he? he was, 24. Yeah, he was really young. Like, these guys were really, really young. And, like, I mean, I don't know if we've ever seen guys, like, I know people try to make, like, XX Distacione, like that kind of guy, and it's like, yeah, and it's like, come on, they weren't, they're not this level, they're not Biggie and Tupac, even even Nipsey Hussle, like shout out to Nipsey Hussle, like he's he's important to California, but Nipsey Hussle didn't have the like nationwide like you know pull that
0: a Tupac or a Biggie have, mm-hmm. and that's where you do see the trend too, like where somebody died, like I remember like when Big Pun died, and they were making <laughs> him out to be like one of the greatest of all time, I'm like, no, 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 no. When Tupac died, yeah, that was a fucking tragedy. When fucking Biggie died, yeah, that was a fucking tragedy. Like even Easy E didn't get like that fucking uh-huh. type of love, like because he died, I think a year before this is, as well. I mean, granted, because of AIDS, but
1: he, he, I, I honestly think that he didn't get that love because people were still like <laughs> AIDS were still kind of viewed as like that like kind of homophobic thing. They were yeah. like. How- Straight people get AIDS, like it was mm-hmm. like it was still in that mentality. Like, even like Magic Johnson was like, Magic Johnson's got AIDS, mm-hmm. you know what, dude? He was kissing Isaiah I, Thomas. I, what was I like Gladi B. Anyways, anyways? <laughs> 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 I'm more of a Gladi guy, anyway <laughs> moving to the Nick Van Axel era, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, totally, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> Gladi <Glottie-D-Buck. laughs> D. <laughs> oh wow! But it, it was a weird time period, like those early '90s. Mm-hmm. Like there was a time period, like you know, like I honestly think that, like, that's why Easy it took so long for Easy to like get the props. Even like when um um uh, Straight Outta Compton came out, that's really when like it was first acknowledged and viewed as like, oh man, like yeah, tragedy. You know, like you know what? Maybe we should view Easy as more of a tragedy and like a a cautionary tale. As opposed to like that guy that you know was part of N.W.A. You know and like, and like he's finally getting his his recognitions. I feel like now if we just give recognitions to everybody. Like little Peep died, and it's like, oh come on, dude! Yeah. Little Peep had like one album, and people were like
0: trying to make him yeah. sound like no. He's, it, but like in the fact, the fact of the matter is, is like Tupac. Like he's more popular in my opinion. I think he's more popular now than he ever was. You know. Yeah. Biggie, too. Like, I mean, you can't help but walk into the mall and, like, his face is planted on a T-shirt somewhere, you know? Like, yeah. and... But they... Because their music actually meant something, you know? Whereas it's just like, who listens to Big Pun? Nobody, yeah. kind of thing. You know, and it's I'm not... like that one-hit song. Yeah, like, I don't want to be a player no more kind of thing. And it's like... I, I mean, You're going
1: to so, have so much hate
0: from the Dominican Republic community <laughs> right now. Or... Bring it on, man. <laughs> <laughs> Send all the emails to Jacob. I don't I don't know. Yeah, but, I mean... But it did start that trend, though. Like mm-hmm. once they died, like people started being like rappers started being martyred and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But then again, too, like you you said earlier, it also ushered in like you know this this more party friendly um, era of rap. And Andre, if he did say one thing during the Source Awards, is that the the South does have something to say, and that's really and, when the South takes over. And the South and Jermaine Dupri and No Limit Records and Cash Money, they literally would go on to dominate way longer than both the east coast and west coast could even dream of
1: and a lot of that's just because they they were there to party they were there to have a good time they had some intelligent songs especially Mm outcasts like songs that were like pretty deep and like thoughtful songs but for the most part they were there to have a better time than than the west coast and east coast really wanted to like east coast west coast they were there for like let's face it there was a lot of violence in those tracks there was a lot of like People dying in the tracks, a lot of those like dumb skit. Like looking back at it, especially like Bad Boy with like the mad rapper skits that they would put, yeah. they're kind of dumb. Like it's did not age well, because like you know people did die, and it's like now it feels like it's in bad taste. And even like Hit 'Em Up is like man, like yeah, it's a it's a brutal song, but I'm sure if Tupac were still alive, he probably wouldn't be proud of that song. It's okay to like look back at like your mistakes and like not be mm-hmm. proud of them, but um I don't know, I I, I think. I think uh it's one of the biggest tragedies, man. Like being that young and seeing like those stars die like that, like, the way that mm-hmm. they did, you know, blows my mind. It blows my mind. Like so you look at a dude like Kendrick Lamar doing like the Pimp Butterfly and the way that he's been influenced by Tupac and pretty much every New York rapper like, you know, since then being influenced by by Biggie. Like Biggie is like, you know, I think California is is a little more spread out obviously and then you almost have to break it down to southern california being more influenced by tupac because northern california have like their mac Dre's and stuff like that that they really like over there which like mac Dre doesn't really in my opinion doesn't really appeal to me Mm. but (laughs) same here though but like you know biggie like new york like that is like biggie like you know the giant mirror like paintings murals murals (laughs) of of uh I have trouble pronouncing words, but, uh, it's okay. yeah, English like, is your second language. It's <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. So, like, um, you know, just doing it, doing what he does is, like, is incredible. Like, you mm-hmm. know, all these years later, like, almost 25 years later.
0: And it's weird because, like, the residual of it is, like, I remember growing up and, like, being wholeheartedly invested, like, in the West Coast. Even now, like, as a 38 year old dude, like, I like I still find myself like having to wake myself out of like that bias where it's just like, no, it's okay to listen to fucking, you know, Wu-Tang or Nas yeah. or Biggie or whatever, right? And I'd have to be looking over my shoulder, being judged by like my classmates or whatever, yeah. right? And it's like there there was a lot of good shit that came out or whatever, right? And I think Kevin Powell, who was one of the writers for Vibe, he said it like it was so crazy, like there was enough money and enough fame to go around for everybody it's just like why why were we looking at it as like there was a shortage of it we had to side with a team you know like there wasn't a trophy that was going to be given out like it was the nba finals or whatever right everybody could have win could have won but in the end so many people lost you know hmm. and i think that that's also a big tragedy there too as well and, I, and again I still find myself, like, getting into, like, that bias mode where I'm like, no, no, it's all about the West Coast or whatever. And it's just like, yo, like, and I'm if I could say one good thing about, like, the current state of hip-hop, like, you have people that are from, like, Toronto or fucking Nebraska or fucking, like, people from the West Coast and people from the East Coast, and they all sound the same. Like, there's no cultural divide because we're in the Internet era now. Yeah. Like, it's the Internet culture, and that's, like, the one good thing where it's just, like, we're not divided anymore. yeah um i think that
1: is true i think the internet has has broken down so many walls that it doesn't matter where you're from you know you could record a quality sounding album out of your mom's basement and it'll sound really good it could sound just as good if not better than like a drake album where he spends like millions of dollars trying to record that shit with all these ghost rappers on it Mm -hmm. and like i don't know i i I think where we are right now in hip hop, like there's always going to be like the old heads that are going to be mad of like where hip hop is going, but there's always like super high quality, high quality rappers out there. I was just watching a documentary about, about uh, J Cole and like the way, like the, like the era that J Cole came up in was like the most perfect era because it was like after all that. And really, in my opinion, like J Cole is the perfect marriage of like, what if what if you took Tupac and Biggie and had one rapper come together? And he mm. really embodies that, in my opinion. Like, embodies that vibe of, like, let me put one or two party songs on here to really bring the audience in, but then the rest of the album is going to be, like, almost like this, like, pretty deep smoke, spoken word-style record where it's, like... I, I love that. I love the fact that there's still rappers out there like that. And, of course, you're always going to have your, like, shitty rappers that are out there, like, just doing nothing but that was happening back then that's oh, why yeah, we 100%. brought up tim dog like <laughs> like, like tim dog it, like didn't really matter in the longevity of hip-hop i know he didn't get martyred when he died yeah, yeah. did he die yeah he died so, of diabetes oh okay see that's sad dude <laughs> <laughs> that's sad that he died and like no nobody cared. cared yeah yeah
0: well, that said, Art, do you have anything else?
1: That's it. That's all I got to say. You know, tell your mama your boo-boo too. Shout out to Jackman. Shout out to Warren. That's it. Yeah.
0: So with that said, guys, if you have any memories from the East Coast, West Coast era of hip-hop, man, it's going to be weird trying to name this because I don't know. Is it the East Coast, West Coast war beef or whatever? Did you say
1: beef? I mean, hip-hop beef is like a really like common phrase.
0: Oh, yeah. We'll do that then, yeah. So if you have any comments on that, if you're from the East Coast, and have some things you want to say to us in regards to us being on the West Coast or whatever. Hit us up and all the social medias at Art and Jacob Do America. Except for Twitter, we are at Art and Jacob Do A1. 'Cause sometimes, son, doesn't matter if you're in New York, you're in Brooklyn, or in Compton. That's just how a steak is done. Except for when you're in Kansas City or in Houston. Whatever. I was gonna
1: say the South might have something to say about that, Jacob.
0: Yeah, they use some homemade <laughs> barbecue sauce to slap some shit, you know, like champ from an <laughs> yeah. anchor man or whatever, right? But if you guys want to support us in any way, guys, I highly recommend heading on over to the Patreon over at patreon.com slash art and Jacob Do America, where every single week we put together a bonus episode. For your listening pleasure. So donate $1, donate $2, donate $5, donate whatever you want to donate or whatever, right? Uh, But you get a bonus episode every single week and nine times out of 10, those bonus episodes are better than the actual episode that you're hearing today for free. So if you like us here, you'll love us over there. If you want to support us in any other way, guys, I highly recommend heading on over to rjacobdoamerica.com. Check out our, uh, follow the merch links, check out our four designs that we have currently up there. Um, there's not so much to help us monetarily as we probably see a couple cents for every purchase made over there, but, um, it goes a long way in helping advertise this podcast. So if you're at a, I well, I guess they have these, like I looked this up, like it's like East coast, West coast night. There's actually one here in Bakersfield that happened last night. That sounds dangerous, dude. Yeah. Like where they're doing like a biggie and Tupac tribute. Shout out to our boy, Eddie. He's the one that fucking posted it. Uh, where, like, they do East Coast songs and West Coast songs or whatever. Obviously, party songs. You're not going to put on fucking... Hit them up? No, no. You're not going to put on fucking, you know, Illmatic. (laughs) (laughs) You know, at a club downtown Bakersfield or whatever, right? Dude, I saw...
1: Sorry, not to interrupt you, but I saw that Ben was at uh, New Metal Night, mm -hmm. and it looked like the saddest fucking thing, dude. It was just a bunch of people staying around listening to, like, New Metal songs, like, drinking, and I was like, dude, that looks boring as fuck, dude. I was like... It was one guy who was like kind of vibing like was like a Linkin Park song played. I was like, "Oh man, that that
0: sucks." <laughs>
1: I become so numb. <laughs> doing the robot. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh fuck, but East Coast West Coast night sounds fun. I can I can get down with some California Love followed mm-hmm. by Hypnotize, which is like mm-hmm. a staple if you're a DJ, if you know what I mean. Uh, but guys where if you are at East Coast West Coast night, guys, wear your official orange Blue american t-shirt. It goes a long way in helping support this podcast as we gain more listenership when you do that. Uh, if you want to listen to other great podcasts, guys, I highly recommend hanging on over to podbelly.coms where we are official members of the Podbelly Network. So go on over there, check out other great podcasts, such as our boys over at the Sofa King podcast, speaking of downtown Bakersfield, as well as our boys over at Hillbilly Horror Stories. But with that said guys, I'm done time to go fucking brave this fucking 113 degree heat but with that said goodbye good (laughs) night